0: And um, we are doing this session on the Father, heart of God, because uh, this is a school of the supernatural. And Greater and I are very aware that in the supernatural realm, um, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, look, if I've got prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith as to move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. That's a very sobering scripture I and mean, that challenges me. And basically what he's saying is look, you can have miracles, you can have signs, wonders, you can have prophetic revelation to the nth degree, but listen, unless we have love, it's it's pretty pointless. And so the supernatural is meant to flow through the conduits of our lives in love. And yet the problem is, unless we understand the father's love for us, we're going to find it very hard to display and convey His love to other people. So it's really essential that we come to this revelation. And I know some of you might have heard this teaching before. This will be revision. Some of you won't have heard this teaching before. And so what we're going to do is this session, uh, Greta's going to come in the first part and just talk about this concept of the importance of the Father's love, why that's important. And then halfway through, I'll come back. We're going to go through a diagnostic chart together to just sort of help us figure out where we're at in terms of how much of this Father's love we really, really comprehend. So, honey, over to you.
1: Thank you. Let's just pray. Oh, Father, thank you that you are a good, good Father. And Lord, I pray that today in this session there will be such a revealing Of your love to every person here, and that Father, you would wonderfully revolutionize our hearts as we do encounter your love. Amen. You know, Billy Graham made a powerful statement about love. He said, The greatest need of every human being is to love and to be loved. And it's true, it really is. Now, the Father's love has come afresh as a a revelation of the Holy Spirit in the last three decades. And this revelation has actually a significant impact on church growth. Today, the fastest growing section of the church globally is the Spiritful Pentecostal Church. Researchers identified the fastest growing segment in the Spiritful Church, and this is what made them distinct. They aim to live a certain light, and they live to express the Father's heart to society around them, those that were marginalized and dispossessed, as well as having the Father's love a central focus in their own lives. So the Father's love is a very, very powerful thing. And, he, and you know, the Lord is wanting every one of his churches to be, you know, Jesus said, refer to my father's house and he wants each place to be my father's house where people can come in here and can really encounter and experience God's amazing love today this is a fatherless generation there are so many that that don't um, have fathers or um, have not had good fathers, and people have such a skewed concept of what what a father is intended to be. And every single one of us are born with an inbuilt need. There's a little vacuum, an inbuilt need for a father, and our God is the perfect papa. There's no one like him. A revelation of the father and his love will draw many to God, and it is a key to a great harvest of salvation. I can remember some years ago having a vision of our nation, New Zealand, and I saw it as a giant orphanage. And then I saw Father's intention. What he intends to do is to transform our nation into a giant family. If we go and read Ephesians, we see how Father... um, You know, he is the father of all the families on on the earth. They, They all derive their name from him. He is the one that created family. Family is very precious to father. And there's a there's a powerful prophecy in malachi 4 verses 5 and 6 and i won't read it in detail it was partially fulfilled in john the baptist but there's a sense that we, that it is about to be fulfilled pro- prophetically to a whole nother level and this it's about the spirit of elijah being poured out and when the spirit of elijah is poured out there's going to be a great turning of lost children back to Father God. Because the Spirit also turns the hearts of, of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. But especially there's going to be this great turning back to Father God. You know, for me personally, I've especially grown in in such a quantum leap of a revelation of the Father's love in these last nine years. Uh, during my grief journey, when my first husband Ron suddenly, you know, went to heaven, um, I experienced Father's kindness and comfort in an exceptional way. You know, the Bible says he is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, and it really, really is true. And it is often in those, you know, those deepest valleys in life that we experience his closeness and love in an utter profound way like we never have before. Now there are two uh, truths in this part that we really want to communicate and have it really sink deep, deep, deep within your soul. The first one is this fact that we are sons and daughters of God. And before I go any further, as I read scriptures and and mention the word sons, just understand the word sons is generic. It includes both male and female. You know how the Bible says, in the beginning God created man, male and female he created them. So it's speaking about mankind, humankind. So it's all of us. Now, Jesus said this in John 8.35. He's contrasting slaves and sons. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And Galatians 4, 7 says, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if we take those two verses, this is what you and I can declare as truth. I am a son. I am no longer a slave. I belong to father's family forever. I have a permanent place in Father's family. You know, if you just think of your, your home, you'll have a dining room table with chairs, and there'll be enough, there'll be a chair for every family member. You might be a family of two or or six or whatever or five. And you need to know there's a chair with your name as it were. At Father's table, you have a permanent place exclusively and uniquely for you. In the next verse in John 8, verse 36, Jesus then says this, So if the Son sets you free, i.e. from slavery, you will be free indeed. Now the Holy Spirit plays a vital role in us experiencing the Father's love. It says this in Romans 5 5, God has poured his love into our hearts, how? By the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And Romans eight fourteen to 16 says this, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, But you received the Spirit of Sonship. Remember last night when I had that sponge and I was soaking it in the water? One of the names of the Holy Spirit is called many things. He's called the Spirit of Sonship. And the Lord wants to absolutely soak and saturate us in the Holy Spirit of Sonship that we will know that we know we are sons and daughters of our Father. And it continues in Romans 8, and it's by the Spirit that we cry, Abba Father. Abba means Daddy, Daddy God. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We declare I am a child of God, because the Word of God says so. The message version puts it this way. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It is adventurously expectant, greeting God with a, what's next, Papa? Can you hear the, the, the fun and the pleasure of doing life together with our Father? God's Spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who He is and we know who we are, Father and Children. So we can see that a revelation of the fatherhood of God brings us into the sonship. And I love what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew ten twenty. He called the Holy Spirit the spirit of your father. The spirit of your father. And we see father's longing in Jeremiah 3. Call me father. I want you to call me father. My father, my friend, you see it's personal, it's your father, he says call me my father. I myself have said how gladly would I treat you as sons. Can you just hear father's heart there? Jesus also plays a vital role in us experiencing and knowing father's love. You know, the fatherhood of of God was Jesus' consuming passion. He was absolutely fiery, passionate about this. Um, He spoke of this 115 times and 50 times at the Last Supper alone. Jesus loves to and wants to reveal the Father to us. Jesus is also our model. You know, you and I are caught to that same deep intimacy that he had with his father. You know, you know, Father and Jesus were so close they were like one. They walked together, they talked together, and that is precisely what Father is after with you and with me. Now, we can have two very different views of this relationship, and sometimes our our view and understanding and concept is completely subconscious or even unconscious. We can either have a master-slave view of our relationship with God, or we can have a father-son-daughter one. Again, there's a huge contrast. The former is based on fear, and the latter is based on love. Big difference. And what does the Bible say in, in 1 John? Perfect love casts out all fear. The 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 latter one casts out the former one, and when we know that we are perfectly love, fear has to flee. And in summary of this truth that we are sons and daughters of our Father, um, we can see a good summary in 1 John 5:19. We know that we are children of God forever forever right up into eternity but he wants us to know it now now we come to the second really important truth of the part of the sermon of the session just picture in your mind a child snuggled up um, on his father's lap just enfolded in his arms there's no performance he just has assurance he's completely loved and he just rests there We've all seen that. We've done that with our own children, those of us that have been parents. And it brings us to our motive to work and serve God. It shouldn't be because we are trying to win his approval and earn his favor. It's got nothing to do with that. Our only motive to, to serve God is because we know we are so loved, we simply desire to please our Father. We love to bring a smile to his face. And this brings us to this truth of resting in the Father's love. We are to work from rest and not rest from work. Remember what day were Adam and Eve made? They were made on the sixth day, weren't they? Their first first full day on the earth was the seventh day, the day of rest. That means, and then the eighth day... After it was the first full day of work. So we are to work from the place of rest. Yet often we can be restless because performance for God can be a nasty slave driver. And it's only this revelation of the Father's love that can bring rest from any striving performance and fear. Now, there are many results Of receiving this revelation of the father's heart. Here are just three of them. And I'm sure you could come up with more. The first result. Security. This just brings absolute security. We can feel secure like that child on his father's lap. Father loves me and you unconditionally. He has a constant unchanging love toward us. No matter what we do. Or what we do not do. You know, if you just picture a maths graph, um, now often if you take um, a sales graph or the stock exchange, any graph, often they're going up and down or they do poles, and whatever type of graph it is, it's it's always going up and down. But you know, if we were to attempt to do a graph, a father's love, we would go to the very highest point on the axis and just draw a straight line continuum never ending because father's love is like that it is constant and unchanging towards you and in actual fact a graph is a poor representation because the bible says in psalm 103 that as far as the heavens are above the earth so great is his love towards you we we just cannot it's immeasurable his love for you is so great it cannot be measured A second result is identity. I was recently struck how in recent years there has been this massive um, surge in ancestry websites, you know, genealogies. And it tells me the world is searching for identity. Where do I come from? Who am I? But you know, it's only the Father's love that brings identity. And you know, sometimes our identity can be wrapped in things we don't really realize they are. You know, it might be my job. Um, I'm a builder. I'm a bank teller. I'm a businessman. I'm I'm a teacher. I'm a mother, a father. It might be my social status. You know, I belong to this club, or uh, I'm a member of that, and I'm a, a cheerleader or chairman of this. Or it might even be our wealth. Um, that we put our identity in, you know, our our amount of wealth or lack thereof, but our identity should be founded in one fact alone. I am a father, my father, I belong to him. I am a son or daughter of my father in heaven. Absolutely nothing else. I know who I am and I know whose I am. Father and children, full stop. A third result is freedom. Freedom. You know, freedom from law and effort, no legalism, no formula. Galatians 5.1 says it all. I love this verse. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm in your freedom and do not allow yourselves to be yoked again with a yoke of slavery. Because that's what the devil will try and always attempt. But, you know, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And we just... Jesus has given us authority to resist him, resist the devil, and he will flee. So if he comes and tries and puts these yokes of slavery again on us with lies in our mind, we, say, we resist and say, I refuse, and I throw and cast that rubbish away. We've got to get belligerent with that kind of nonsense. You know, the Lord wants you and me just to be free, to be fully you, to be all God intended you to be. You are a human being, not a human doing. We need to first be and then do. And all we do should flow from who we are. And be free from the striving. You know, Jesus has purchased Father's love at an incredible cross cost. This is how loved we are. And these beautiful verses in Colossians 1, and 22 describe this. What Jesus has actually purchased for us. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has brought you back as his friends. Jesus calls us his friends. He has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. As a result, he has brought you into the very presence of God, and you are holy and you are blameless. As you stand before him without a single fault. Notice the present tense. This is the blood of Jesus. This is the power of the blood, what Jesus has bought for us. That this is how God sees us. And the Lord has made these scriptures so profoundly real to me. Um, In a vision, I was in the throne room in heaven and standing before Father. And I saw myself how I'm going to one day look and how, in fact, all of us will one day look. Um, I was youthful and beautiful. You know, no blemishes, no wrinkles, nothing. Isn't that wonderful? Youthful and beautiful. And I saw on my head a silver crown and around my neck these gorgeous pearls. And I was wearing this stunning purple gown. And this is what Father said to me. He said to me, in my eyes, in terms of that silver crown, you know, the Bible says silver purified seven times over. In my eyes, you are pure. In terms of that youthful beauty, he said, in my eyes, you are perfect. In terms of that beautiful, that those pearls, the necklace of pearls. You remember, pearl of great price. In my eyes, you are precious. And the purple gown, purple is symbolic of royalty. In my eyes, you are my royal daughter. And this is how Father sees every one of us in in his eyes. You, You are perfect. You are pure. You are precious. You are his royal son and daughter. And it's all because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Jesus opened the way to the Father. And because of Jesus, we have free access to Father. We have full access. We have 24-7 access access to Father. And there is no door. The way is permanently always open. You are always welcome and wanted. And this morning... um, Back home, I just had the sense that there were a few people that you had a spirit of rejection. And today, Father wants to break off that spirit of rejection and set you free. In actual fact, I'm going to just pray for it right now. Lord, in the authority of Jesus' name, I break off the spirit of rejection of any person. I break its power. I cancel the lie in Jesus' name. And Lord, I declare freedom and a great revelation of your love that every single one of us is fully accepted by you, Father, that we are wanted and that we are welcome in your presence. Amen. We can always have confidence and full assurance to come to Father. Here are a few extracts from Hebrews 10:19 to 20. We have confidence to enter Father's presence by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through His body. Let us draw near to Father in full assurance of faith. Isn't that awesome? And Deuteronomy 33:12 summarizes this resting in the Father's love. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long. And the one the Lord loves, that's you and me, rests between his shoulders. So we just simply rest in Father's love. But you know, often our prayer lives are us going yakety yak to Father. You know, we do all the talking. And it's good to just have times of resting in silence in in his presence and let Him letting him love you you know how the Bible says, be still and know that he is God. And often we have found that great revelation has come for us, for David and me, when we've had this time of just resting in his presence and soaking in his love. Those are the most precious times. His, His presence really is heaven. It is the most precious thing to me in all my life. And If you have these times, you may like to put on worship music. May or may not, whatever you prefer. You know, in life, it's absolutely necessary to have those times of intense intercession. But we need to have a good balance of of the the prayer times, of, of doing spiritual warfare, and just simply restful soaking in Him. And it's in this place of rest... That we we discover just how much Father enjoys us human beings in all our weaknesses and frailties and imperfections. He loves us just as we are. He fully accepts us just as we are. Father is not looking for perfection. He's looking for relationship with you and me. Intimate relationship. Father delights in his kids. He delights in you. And the Bible says so many times, he delights in those who put their hope in his unfailing love. He delights in our well-being. And Psalm 37, 4 encourages us to do likewise with Father. Delight yourself in the Lord. And it gives God enormous pleasure when his kids choose to spend time with him and hang out with him. David and I, we've got five sons between us and daughters-in-law and grandchildren. It gives us great delight when they choose to hang out with us. Now, Father desires above all else this mutual reciprocal delight and pleasure. And in actual fact, Father gets so carried away the, in Zephaniah 3, it talks about his great delight in us, that he bursts into song. He sings over you with joy. And Dennis, Father says, he is so proud of you. You know, his heart bursts when he sees how far you've come, how well you've done. And he's, he's, and he's, he's proud of you. Our priority above all else needs to be resting in this intimate place, making time for that every day. And I close with this powerful um, scripture. And it's because, you know, none of us have got a full enough understanding yet of just how how loved we are that's why this this prayer in Ephesians 3 is so powerful for us to pray it so that we can just keep on learning more and more that he loves us more than we can conceive David and I pray this regularly and we personalize it we'll we'll say father may may my, our roots may our children's roots go down etc so let me read it May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's so great you'll never fully understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Wow. What is that describing? That is describing the supernatural love. Then, but where does the fullness of life and power, the supernatural flow from? It flows from a revelation of love. That's why a revelation of the Father's love is one of the most important revelations in our lives. So let us Stay hungry for more of God. And let's just keep pressing in deeper into Father's presence and to Father's love so that we can know him more intimately. Now, in a moment, David is going to come and he is going to take us through this amazing chart. But just before he does, let's have a stand and a little stretch. Just get the blood circulating. A lot of you know that I'm a physiotherapist and I love exercise, but we're just going to do a little bit to just get our our, our blood circulating. Let's just do a bit of marching on the spot and just let the arms just swing loosely. They do say that sitting is the new smoking. Uh, You don't want to sit for too long. Couch potatoes, no more. Okay, now let's move our arms up and down. That's right. Get those shoulders going as far as you comfortably can. A few backward circles now. Those shoulder blades love that. Deep breath in and out. And one more deep breath in and out. All the cobwebs are gone out of the brain cells, and we can sit down again. Well done.
0: Okay, anyone injured doing those can be healed next session. <laughs> yeah, good. Sitting's the new smoking. Wow, it's quite something, isn't it? Uh, this chart that we're about to go through is uh, not ours. It's, uh, it was put together in the 1980s, I think, or by a pioneer of the Father Heart Ministries, a guy called Jack Frost, and I'm not kidding, that was his name. Jack Frost. And he had a close friend called Jack Winter. So, uh, you know, they say like attracts like. And when they got together, it was a cool time. But, uh, you, know, it's, uh, but you know, so we give honor to, uh, to this guy and um, he's with the Lord now. But, uh, you know, to me, it's an incredible mystery that a perfect God would love imperfect people. I can't get my head around it. You know, when Greta's sharing, it's like everything in my mind logically says that can't be right. And yet my spirit is receiving the truth that father is not looking for perfection. He's looking for relationship. And he makes us perfect through his son, Jesus. And you cannot come to father based on your performance. You can only come based on what Jesus has done. To me, that is the most incredible thing. See, every religion on planet Earth says you must strive and perform your way to God. But Christianity says that Jesus has done the performing for us. And so he reaches down to us. Religion says you've got to try and reach up to God. But Christianity says, no, no, God reached down to us and Jesus. And, to, you know, so many of us are tainted with that religious spirit that religious way of thinking, and we've got to get rid of it. So as we go through this chart, we're going to be contrasting people that are under an orphan spirit. I don't mean a demonic spirit. Our spirit is the core of who we are. It's the innermost being. It's our belief system, um, as opposed to those who are sons and daughters of God. You might be a brand-new Christian, and you may not be familiar with this kind of concept, but look, As we go through, I think we'll be able to see just where we're really falling in terms of, uh, not falling, but on the line of where we are in terms of sonship. I'm not going to comment on everything. There's too much there. You can read a number of them yourself. But let's make a start with theology. Uh, Orphans tend, these are people with an orphan spirit tend to live by the love of law. Whereas sons and daughters live by the law of love. So when you encounter someone that's legalistic, you know, they have rules for their life. They think that by keeping the rules, they're going to be acceptable to God. And then they project those same rules onto you. And, they you know, they demand that you keep the same rules as well. Generally, you can trace that legalistic spirit back to an orphan way of thinking. Because sons and daughters know that they're unconditionally loved by the Father. Therefore, they understand that they can't demand law of other people. They're just going to, you know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And they're not going to just, you know, turn a blind eye to everything. Because in love, you sometimes have to correct someone and discipline them so that you will uh, rescue them from danger. But still, you do it in a way of love and so the theology are we living by the law of love we're extending love to people we're showing them grace we're making allowances for them we're um we're even you know even the wicked God says I pour my sunshine down and my rain even on the unrighteous even on the wicked so that's a challenge for us because we can be so legalistic and look at a person, oh, well, they're not doing that, and they're not doing that, and we make a judgment. But we've got to get out of that into the law of love. Orphans are insecure. They lack peace. Sons and daughters have that sense of rest and peace that Greta was talking about. Because, um, because the driver of our lives, the next one, need for approval. People with an orphan spirit are constantly striving for the approval of other people, for praise, for acceptance. It's not wrong to receive praise and encouragement. That's a lovely thing to get. But if we are addicted to that, um, then we're going to be in trouble. Sons and daughters are totally accepted in God's love. They believe that by faith. And they know they're justified by the grace of the Lord Jesus. And so they know that they already have God's approval simply through believing in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean I want to live a slack life. I want to live a life of excellence. I want to bring pleasure and delight to my father. But there's a difference between performance and excellence. In performance, you're trying to do things really perfectly in order to gain approval. But with excellence, because you know you already have that approval, you're wanting to do something excellently as an act of worship and thanksgiving to your father in heaven. And you're not trying to earn approval that you've already got as a gift, but you're just saying, Lord, I'm just doing this because I love you. I want to do the best I can because I want, to be, I want to have an excellent spirit, not because you're demanding perfection, but simply because you've declared me perfect in Jesus. Jesus said something very interesting in John 5, 41 to the Pharisees. He said, your approval or disapproval means nothing to me. Wow. I don't know about you, but I'm gobsmacked at that statement. Your approval or disapproval means nothing to me. And they were a bunch of legalists. And so many times people will impose legalism on our lives. And they'll either approve of you or disapprove of you based on your behavior. And we've got to get to the point where we're not going to live under other people's expectations. But we live in the light of our Father's love, wanting to excel for his sake, not wanting to excel because somebody's got some idea of how we should be behaving. Jesus says, your approval or disapproval means nothing to me. And I'm human enough to know I'm not quite there yet. You know, it's still sometimes people disapprove. It can affect you. Or if they approve of you, that you think, "Ah, oh, this is so good. But, you know, we've got to learn to be detached. Say, well, Lord, thank you. If people have been blessed through our lives, that's wonderful. But, Lord, I'm giving you the credit for that. I'm giving you the glory and honor because uh, I'm not going to be addicted. See, if you're addicted to the need for approval, then when you get disapproval, you're just going to be thrown by it. And so we all get disapproval in life. And... Uh, And people will say and do things that uh, will hurt us. And we just got to say, well, Lord, that's what they might think, but I know what you think. And, you know, search for truth. If there's truth in the criticism, then search for it and make adjustments and say, okay, yeah, I think they might be right there. But even in that, you know, make adjustments, but don't allow yourself to come under that spirit of rejection. Um, Be really, really confident. Motivation for service. You can read that one yourself. Let's jump down to motive behind Christian disciplines. Uh, By Christian disciplines, I mean things like reading the Bible, praying, fasting, tithing, those kinds of things that we need uh, discipline to do. Um, You can have 100% revelation of sonship and of the Father's love, but you're still going to need discipline. And the reason is, Jesus said to his disciples, stay alert and pray, otherwise temptation will overtake you, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So everybody in this room, you and I, we have this problem. We've got a willing spirit, but we've got weak flesh. And that weak flesh will fight us. I've discovered something about myself. I can watch an hour of TV I can be lying on the couch with my jelly beans, watching, uh, this is for Don's sake, he loves jelly beans, and uh, watching TV for an hour, and it's just like, oh, it's so easy. But praying for an hour, that demands more of me, and it demands discipline. I'm gonna go on and I'm gonna pray for an hour, you know? Jesus said, could you not watch and pray for one hour? And, you know, it's not a time thing, because, you know, sometimes I pray shorter, sometimes longer, it just depends, and I'm free in that, but, and I've discovered too that, I can read a magazine for half an hour or, you know, go onto some news site on the internet and search the news sites or do something on the internet for half an hour. It's just so easy, like just time flies. But reading my Bible for half an hour, that requires discipline. See, i got a a willing spirit. I know it's right to pray and to read the Bible and to fast and to tithe. And, you know, I know all that stuff's right. But when it comes to doing it, I need discipline. Now, the question is, where does the motivation for the discipline come to? See, orphans, it comes out of a sense of duty, obligation and guilt if you don't do it. Oh, I've got to read the Bible. You know, take Bible reading. I've got to read the Bible because, you know, that's what Christians should do. I've heard the pastor preach a sermon that we should all be reading the Word. It's a biblically illiterate generation today, and people are not reading their Bibles, and they're getting screwed up as a result. Better read my Bible. And if you do it for that reason, you'll start out, but you won't get very far, and you'll be very spasmodic in reading the Word of God. But if you have this attitude, wow, God has done such an amazing thing in me. He's forgiven me my sins. He has sent Jesus to die in my place. He accepts me as a son or daughter. I want to get to know this amazing God. And the only way I can do it is read the word of God. Because Jesus said, if you search the scriptures, it's they that testify of me. Lord, I want to read your word because I I want to get to know you. And maybe you've got something to say to me today that will be relevant. So I just want to. And see, your motivation is desire in delight not obligation and duty and when you have that motivation of, of ah, i don't want to miss anything that you might say to me today you're going to read the bible it doesn't matter if it's just 10 minutes a day a chapter a day or half an hour a day whatever you can manage but you're going to make sure well i'm just going to do it and if you have that attitude there'll hardly be a day in the year that you miss reading your your bible Now, we've been surveying churches around the country and in the UK, so I'm going to do it here, and I'm just going to ask you, how many of you would read the Bible regularly each week? So like minimum maybe three to four times a week, you'd be reading the Bible. Just let me see your hand. Okay, that's a good response. That's well over maybe two-thirds. How many of you would be reading it every day? Okay, that's another good response. Well done. And uh, all of us really should have our hands up, shouldn't we? If the motivation's right, because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Listen, here's a secret. Sometimes I read the Bible. Some days it's like, I don't know what I've read. I don't, nothing's particularly leapt out. Maybe I've not even understood it, but I know it's good for me because I'm being washed by the washing of the water of the word and even subconsciously that word is going in and you'll be surprised how the Holy Spirit can pull it out of your subconscious and you may not have been able to even understand it at the time you read it but wow God is doing something motivation for purity the next one orphans must be holy to have God's favor Um, sons and daughters want to be holy because they don't want anything to hinder that intimate relationship with God you know law says I must grace says I want to We've been shown grace, and we must live in that grace, and that's the motivation. Self-image, Greta's talked about self-rejection as a big deal to orphans, whereas sons and daughters feel positive and affirmed um, because they know that they have such value for God. I'll comment on source of comfort. Uh, pain is an inevitable fact in in. Our lives, pain sweeps into our lives. Maybe we lose somebody, they die. Maybe we uh, lose our health. Maybe we just go through trial and difficulty. Maybe someone's unkind to us. There's all kinds of ways that we can experience emotional pain. Uh, And, you know, as with physical pain, we'll try and get rid of it. And what you turn to, to anesthetize the pain, to medicate the pain, is very revealing. People with an orphan spirit tend to turn to counterfeit comforts. To try and get rid of the pain, so it might be like addictions, uh, drugs, alcohol, pornography, um, excessive eating, and all of those things to try and get comfort, or maybe it's escapism. And you know, gosh, you know, there's there's people. I've got nothing wrong with computer games; they can be fun. But if if a person's spending six, seven hours a day, that's escapism, man. That is just total escapism, and that is living in a fantasy world that is divorced from reality, Um, hyper-busy activity, hyper-religious activity, etc. Now, what sons and daughters do when pain strikes them, they know the principle of Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me into green pastures and besides still waters and He restores my soul. So sons and daughters know that getting alone with God is the key to dealing with the pain and the suffering and the adversity that hits all of our lives from time to time. And you get that solitude. We call it solitude. We get alone with God. We soak in His presence, soak in His love. And you find that He begins to restore our soul. I know when Jane died, I couldn't do a lot of intercessory praying or anything like that but for about six weeks just about every day I'd lay on my bed I'd listen to worship music and for an hour or so I'd just soak in God's presence I wouldn't say much I'd maybe sing along with some of the songs but I'd just let God love me and he just poured his love and he poured his grace began to heal that pain gave me some amazing visions of heaven um, and stuff like that that just brought me through and I learned that wow getting alone with God God, oh, that is so, um, it's such the right thing to do. Now we're about halfway through the chart and I'm picking there's some pretty depressed people in the room because you're mentally ticking off which side of the chart you keep appearing on. And some of you might be feeling bipolar because you think like, I think I'm not sure. One day I'm there, one day I'm there. I don't know what's happening to me. And, and, uh, and, but listen, welcome to the world of humanity. Let me ask you this question. When did the orphan spirit come into the world? the Garden of Eden. What happened to Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God? God ejected them from the garden. They lost their home. And there was a disconnect in their relationship with Father God. They no longer had that face-to-face relationship with Him that they had in the garden. So they lost their home. They lost their father. When you lose your home and you lose your parent, what are you? You're an orphan. And Adam and Eve walked out into the world, ejected from the Garden of Eden with the orphan spirit on them. And every human being that's ever been born ever since is not only born in the sin that they committed, the sin nature, we're born with an orphan spirit and the whole planet is tainted with the orphan spirit. And what happens when Jesus saves us, he begins to deliver us. He begins to say, no, no, you're not orphans anymore. You're sons and your daughters. And we begin this journey into sonship, but it is a journey and it's going going to take you all your life journeying out of the orphan spirit into full sonship. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. We didn't talk about that last night, but that's one of his jobs is to journey you and me more and more into the fullness of being sons and daughters. And by the time you finally step over into heaven, you will be a perfected son, a perfected daughter. But it's a lifelong journey as we and we got to leave behind that thing. And I found that sometimes I've got to confront orphan thinking. And say to myself, David, you're thinking like an orphan. Stop it. Maybe I'm anxious about finance. Maybe I'm fearful about something. Maybe I feel like I don't have the strength to do that. And that's all orphan because orphans think lack. Sons know he provides. And we're thinking lack all the time, not just lack of money, but lack of strength, lack of health, lack of whatever, then we can be operating under that that horrible orphan spirit. Okay, peer relationships. You can read that one yourself. Uh, handling others' faults, uh, view of authority, view of admonition. You can read all those ones yourself. Let's jump down to expression of love. With orphans, the way that they love other people is it's guarded, they don't want to get hurt, it's conditional. They'll only love others if those people perform in a certain way. The the love that they give is based upon others' performance as they seek to get their own needs met. Whereas sons and daughters, it's open, it's patient, uh, it's affectionate. They lay down their life and agendas in order to meet the needs of others. There's a servant heart. There's a sense of unconditional love. Um, And often as parents, it's really important that with our kids, we don't show them conditional love. Because if you show them conditional love, you're going to foster the orphan spirit in their hearts. But if you show them unconditional love, now that doesn't mean you don't discipline them. That doesn't mean that you don't say, that behavior is not acceptable. Uh, We're not, you know, they talk about, the snowflake generation. These are kids now that are college age, university age, that have become so sensitive to anybody saying anything wrong to them, they can't handle it. I mean, it's endemic in America at the moment. It's crazy. And I think it's a soft generation on the rise. So I'm not talking about soft love. You can have tough love. Uh, One of Jane's and my boys, um, he went off into the drug scene in high school, Got really involved. And when he left high school, he got heavily involved in methamphetamines. He was in the drug scene for 12 years. You know, he was working as a chef and stuff, but he was involved in the drug scene and even selling the stuff. And, and, you know, we had to make a decision. What were we going to do as Christian parents about that? And we made a decision to do two things. Number one, pray unceasingly. We got, Lord, we pray he's going to come back. And number two... Love him unconditionally. We said, hey, we think what you're doing is destructive. We don't agree with it, but we're going to love you. And I remember some years into this, he came around home for a visit. As he's leaving home, he said, Dad, how come you and Mum love me despite all I'm doing? I said, that's easy. We love you because you're our son, not because of what you do. When you can tell your kid that, I just love you because you're my son or daughter, not because of what you do. That's a powerful statement. He, he left and when his mum died, he came back to know the Lord. I figured he thought, man, she's been praying for me on earth. Now she's up face to face with God in heaven. I don't stand a chance. She'll be, you know, talking to the Lord. <laughs> so I might as well give in. I, I don't know, but you know what? And you know, when you've been 12 years in drug scene, you've got a lot of baggage he got, came to know the Lord and slowly but surely God began to deal with that baggage. It took some years, but right now he is going great for God. He's involved in a great church in Auckland. He's, you know, he's, he's leading some home groups. He's leading a divorce recovery group. He's, you know, he's serving. He's just, he's just going so well for God. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. But let me tell you, there was a lot of pain and a lot of prayer, and a lot of need to show unconditional love and patience that went into that, and I think if we'd shut the door and said, oh, we don't want to know you, you know, some parents do that, get out of my house, you're not, uh, I think, you know, we alienate, isn't, aren't you glad that God didn't love you conditionally, loved you unconditionally, and he wants to show us the same, he wants us to show the same to other people, and uh, pray for your kids, love them unconditionally, and uh, do it with other people as well. Um, sense of God's presence, that's obvious, condition, position, we've pretty much discovered that. Uh, and you can read the rest for yourself. You say, how do I journey more into this sonship thing? How do I move, you know, and, and you know, just keep moving out of that orphan thing? Uh, sometimes I think uh, we've got to confront orphan thinking, be aware of it. Now we've gone through the chart, maybe we're going to be more aware of that. Um, Reading material on the Father's love is a great thing to do. There's many wonderful books today uh, on the Father heart of God, and there's one of those that is in your notes there. The Birthright by John Sheesby, if you can get a hold of that. That's just a little book. It's brilliant. I get a hold of materials that you can watch or listen to. Uh, We've got a series down on the table there called The Father Heart of God. We talk about slavery or sonship, and it's a little bit more oriented about getting free from performance Christianity. We also talk about pain in the Father's love, because the thing we haven't addressed today is if God's such a loving Father, why is there such a lot of pain in the world, in people's lives, and in even believing believers lives why is there such a lot of pain how do you address that and people will ask that you know why do bad things happen to good people so we try and address that and um so that's available I'd like to give that one away anyone like you would like that there you go enjoy listening and uh you got to be a bit enthusiastic you just gotta all right Um, okay so so get yourself you know soak yourself in the truth of it um Greta talked about praying Ephesians 3. That's a, that's, that's a great apostolic prayer. You know, I, you know Paul talks about, um, you know, just wanting to know his love. And that, that's one of the most stunning prayers in the Bible. And if you just write it out on a bit of paper and put it on your fridge and once a week, just stop and pray over that and say, Lord, I pray that my roots would go down deep into the soil of your marvelous love. I pray that I would have power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, long, high, and deep your love really is. May I know the love of Christ, though it is so great I'll never fully understand it. Then may I be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from you. I've been praying that for years. And guess what? God is answering. I'm not there completely yet. I still have my days where I'm thinking like an orphan. And, but, you know, God is doing something, shifting us more and more into his love. So pray, read, get material. You know, some of you might have grown up in an abusive home. You've had abusive parents or maybe physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse. And, you know, when you've grown up like that or you've maybe had abusive teachers or abusive peers or somebody's done some stuff to you in life and you've got a bit of a wounded soul, sometimes it might be good to sit with a Christian counselor and just talk to them. You know, I just feel like I'm carrying some wounds. And because of these wounds, I find it hard to comprehend that God could so perfectly and totally love me. Uh, we have uh, these wonderful uh, ministries like Cleansing Streams. Do you guys have that here in Fongarei Or Yeah, some of them. Are, it's like a course you can go through for a number of weeks that will take you through a journey of inner healing. And that can be powerful. But you know what? One of the other powerful ways that God can sort of journey us into sonship is through impartation. It's not the only way, but it's, it's a powerful way. This was vividly illustrated to us. We um, were in a church in Auckland, and um, we were getting ready to get up on the platform and, and share. And the pastor gets up and he says, there's a lot of people here today that you, you're feeling uh, pain in your heart. You're feeling fear. Um, there's a lot of fear in the room. And I turned to Greta. I said, "Honey, that's that orphan spirit, because perfect love casts out fear. When we get up, why don't you talk about Father's love just for a minute or two, and then we're gonna pr- we'll pray. And then while we're waiting to be introduced, I have this vision. You know, we're gonna talk after lunch about how God speaks. One of the ways He speaks is in pictures. You can have your mind, your eyes shut, but you can see a room, and you can begin to see, you know." objects in it or what God is up to. And I saw the auditorium filling up with angels. And these angels were carrying these beautiful white robes. And so I said, Holy Spirit, what are these robes and these angels for? He said, these are robes of sonship. You, You tell the people that there's robes for them of sonship and you ask me to release the angels. Tonight, And so we get up and I haven't shared that with Greta. She shares on the father's love. And then she says, by the way, I've seen the Lord send angels into this place tonight. They're carrying white robes of sonship. So we released, asked the Holy Spirit to release those angels. Said, come on, people, just take those robes and, uh, and got on with the rest of the meeting. The next day I'm in the local post office. There's a lady there. She says, David, she said, I was in that meeting last night. I said, were you? She said, yes. She said, you know, I'm 37 and I was sexually abused as a little girl and i have been messed up most of my life. But last night when you and Greta talked about the angels, I saw a big angel standing in front of me with this beautiful robe and he smiled at me and said, this is for you. She said, when you prayed, I took that robe and I put it on. I have been completely transformed this last 24 hours. I'm a different person. It's like God in a moment of time, his presence and his power came. And you remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? This young boy gets his inheritance, goes away, squanders it, loses everything. Famine comes into the land. He's got no money. There's no food. He ends up working for a pig farmer, not a good occupation for a Jewish boy. And he's working for this pig farmer. And the, even the pig food looks good. He's so hungry. And he, I don't know how long he's working, but one day it says he comes to his senses and he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and I'll tell him, father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. You just treat me as a slave. Because he thought At least the slaves in my father's house are getting a decent meal. And so he starts out and he's journeying home. You imagine how he's dressed. He's got the robe on that he's been in the pig pen with. It probably stinks. It's got dirt and muckle over it. It's probably got holes in it. He's walking home with this robe. I call it the orphan robe because in his mind, he's rehearsing his speech. Father, I'm not worthy to be your son. I've blown it. I've messed up. I have done this and that. Don't. I'm not your son anymore. Just treat me as one of your slaves. Some, Some of us today feel like we've so blown it in our past. We've so made so terrible mistakes in our past that really we're like second-rate Christians and there's no second-rate Christians in God's family. There's only first-rate sons and daughters and he's walking home and the father's been looking for him every day. He's been waiting weeks and months. Maybe it's been years. I don't know. But he sees his son coming over the horizon. And this man runs and he embraces his son and hugs him. And the son says, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. He's so aware of his sin. And I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. So treat me as a slave. The father ignores him. And what does he do in the story? He turns to his servants. He says, go and get the best robe. The best robe was reserved for the eldest son. It was a robe of honor. It was the double portion robe because the eldest son would always get the double portion. And the servants go and get the best robe and they take this filthy old robe of the orphan off him and they put the robe of sonship on him. And then they have a party and they celebrate. And Jesus told that story To not illustrate how much we can blow things. He told that story to illustrate how grand the father's love is. How amazing the father's love is. It shouldn't be called the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal means wasteful. It should be the story of the loving father. I think whoever put little chapter titles in the Bible maybe got that wrong. It should be the story of the loving father. And none of us here today has to feel second class. Doesn't matter what you've done. And all that to say is, whenever we do this session, Father always sends the angels. They've always got the robes. And in a moment, we're going to stand to our feet and we're going to pray that the orphan robe will be taken off us and that today, robes of sonship will be put upon us. And it's like a thing of faith that you can do uh, to cooperate with God. But I believe the Holy Spirit is here to impart that revelation of sonship into our hearts and into our lives, because that's His job. The Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba means Papa. It's an endearing term for Father. Abba means Papa. It's our nearest English equivalent, Papa. And uh, why don't we stand to our feet? Why don't we come before the Lord? And wherever you're at on that journey, you know, you might be thinking, ah, I just praise God, He's been working sonship into my life. Or maybe you're feeling like, oh, I feel like an orphan most of the time. Today, let's make a change. Amen. Today. I'm not going to come under that orphan spirit anymore. That's not who I am. My God has released me to be a son, to be a daughter. And uh, firstly, we're going to break off that orphan Thinking, And I'm going to get you to do a prophetic action in a moment. But, Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, your unconditional love, that, Lord, you reached down to us. You not called us to religion to have to strive to get to you, but you called us into relationship because you, you strive to get to us by sending Jesus. Thank you for that incredible gift. And right now, Lord, I take authority over all guilt and condemnation and unworthiness and self-rejection in this room. All that sense of unworthiness because of our behavior. Lord, I thank you that, my God, you are a holy God and you want us to live holy lives. But, Lord, we'll never live holy lives by law. It's only going to be by your grace. It's only your grace that enables us to do that. And right now, Lord, we are going to throw off orphan thinking. We're going to take off this orphan robe. Could you act that out, please? Could you just act out like you're taking off that orphan robe? Take it off, throw it to the ground. In the name of Jesus, I break the power of the orphan spirit over every life in this room. I break it over our lives right now. I break it off. We will not suffer that thing anymore. We will not walk with it. We will not walk under it. In the name of Jesus, we reject it because it is not of God. Therefore, we do Not receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Now we're going to pray that those angels that are here today would release those beautiful robes of sonship.
1: Oh, precious Father, thank you for sending the angels today with those beautiful white robes, and there's an angel with a robe for every single person here. Holy Spirit, Would you now release those robes of sonship? Would you just do a prophetic action? Take the robe now and put it on. Lord, we thank you for these robes of sonship. We put them on. We receive your free gift. And we declare, I am a son. I am a daughter of my Father in heaven. Holy Spirit, would you seal these truths in every single heart. Lord, release such an ongoing, growing revelation of your heart of love to every person, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: And Father, I pray that you will just so impart a deluge of your love into our hearts. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and minister the love of the Father and the grace of Jesus into our lives. You know, we shared that scripture last night. May the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you. It wasn't just a nice saying Paul was writing out. It's it's truth. It's revelation. It's what Christianity is about. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and minister A deluge of the grace of Jesus and the love of the Father into our lives.
1: You know, our primary calling in life is this powerful verse in in Jude. Your first calling in your life, you are called to live in the love of the Father and in the care of Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. Jude verse 1, powerful scripture. Amen. All right. Some of that could have stirred up some things in us, but I hope that if there's any pain, that God will just so minister grace into our lives. We're going to have a cup of tea. It's over there, 20 minute break, and then we'll be back for the healing session. Bless you.
1: When sunlight breaks and the day has just begun,
0: in the still I wait for your voice to lead me on. It's a